Welcome to the Bella Sad Bellum Podcast, the podcast for military-connected women, bringing messages of encouragement, humor, and practical how-to on topics that impact their lives most, equipping them to lead in the service and in the home with grace and wisdom. We care deeply about sharing accurate, timely, and relevant information with our listeners, but neither we nor our guests have a monopoly on truth and everyone's military experience is unique. The views expressed in any of our content, written or audio, do not necessarily reflect an official or acknowledged Department of Defense, United States Air Force, or other government agency position, policy, or view. Welcome to the fourth episode in Solo Flight, our deployment miniseries. Uh, with this episode, we're more than halfway through the series. Oh my gosh. Yay! <laughs> And today we'll be focused. It's like a deployment. I know. It's like we've been deployed on this podcast. Uh, today we'll be focusing on kind of the grown-up aspects of the trans deployment phase or the during deployment phase. So our last two episodes were specifically about kids in deployment, and we've already covered the pre-deployment phase or deployment prep. Obviously, since we already talked specifically about kids in deployment, today's conversation is going to focus on the deployed member and any spouse or significant other, or if you're the deployed member and you don't have to worry about folks at home quite as much. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on with this episode. Uh, There are a couple offshoots to this discussion that we hope to break into more uh, in detail in future episodes, as usual, right? We always have spinoffs that we're going to talk about, and we always try and hook you in with those. Um, But specifically, I haven't read the newest iteration, but I'm a big big fan of this gentleman oh yeah uh, gary chapman's newest iteration of the five lung love languages uh, which is written for long distance relationships and specifically military couples so um there are a lot of aspects of deployment that make you know meeting our partner's emotional needs difficult and we want to talk about that in a separate episode so look forward to that um and then of course we'll be talking about murphy's law of deployments in a separate episode and uh the topic of being apart for special occasions so uh, we won't spend a lot of time on those in uh, this particular discussion, but but look forward to those in the future. Yep. Assuming we have the stamina to get there. <laughs> yes. And sometimes, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, surviving and not thriving. So. <laughs> right. Yes. Speaking of that, right? Yes. Uh, so, Bernadette, why does this topic matter? What are the consequences of being uninformed or poorly equipped in this area? We've already answered that question for the topic of extended separations in general, but specifically for the during phase of deployment. Sometimes that feels like the longest and hardest phase of extended separations, Uh, though the course of that may vary from one situation to another. But as we've said before, we want to equip ourselves to thrive during and after deployments and to be women who can lead with grace and wisdom in the service in the home. That's our bellus ad bellum mantra. Mm -hmm. So those characteristics are probably most evident during challenging times like trans or during extended separations. Yep, yep. So in preparing for this episode, we both brushed up on our knowledge uh, through research and reading, mainly Julie. I'm going to give you full credit there. (laughs) And then reflecting on our personal experiences on the extended separations and um, deployments. And we found that there are really kind of three unifying themes that should guide you for not just surviving, but truly thriving in the midst of separations and deployments. So those three themes are uh, to first set reasonable expectations. We've talked about that before, Mm -hmm. but... There it is again. Second, to communicate as much as possible. We always kind of talk about that as Mm -hmm. well. Uh, And thirdly, to lean on your support network totally unashamedly. And we'll break each of those down and talk about them in detail and with some practical tips. But uh, but those are the three themes you will see throughout this episode. And really, they kind of tie into all the episodes when you 
review them in total. Yep. So, yep. so good unifying themes. Uh, so first, set reasonable expectations. Um, I made a comment in one of our previous deployment episodes, uh, must have been the pre-deployment one, that military life in general, setting expectations is both critically important for success and almost totally irrelevant. Yeah, totally. yeah. <laughs> I, I know it sounded negative, but I do stand by that comment. You have to set expectations from the beginning so that you can have a starting place from which you adjust. And you will end up a- adjusting your expectations. But taking the time to deliberately think about what you expect will happen and you, what you want to see happen kind of helps you identify what is important to you as a person Uh, And then come to agree on what is important for you as a family if you are deploying as part of a family unit as opposed to like a solo deployer. Uh, And when you pull out the core part of any expectation, it's easier to identify why that thing is important to you and also brainstorm ways you can reset your expectations later. Um, So just as a personal example, the way we communicate, my husband and I, has been kind of a repeat area of disappointed expectations for me individually while my husband and I are separated because of military orders. Um, And over the last several separations, I've kind of come to understand that my expectations about communication are tied to my need for quality time, which is my primary Mm. love language, (laughs) which really is, yeah, that is not, that's a tough one during deployment, not conducive for deployments. Um, So when we're not communicating frequently or just as frequently as I'd like, I feel unloved. And it's not anybody's fault. It's not that he's being unloving. It's just, anyway, um, and my attitude and reaction to that, um, or or really life in general, can get to be kind of negative when I'm not getting that need met. Um, So instead of focusing on how my quantitative expectation is not being met, for example, Maybe I expected to talk every day for 30 minutes, and so there's kind of a number associated with that expectation. If instead of focusing on that number, if I focus on my core need, which is I, I need to connect with you emotionally, we can adjust and find other ways of meeting that need. So maybe we talk less often, but we talk for longer periods of time. Or maybe if we can't change the frequency or the duration of conversation, maybe we need to focus on connecting emotionally during conversations we are able to have and spend less time talking about boring house items or business or, you know, stuff that I could write in an email. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to the communication piece. But I wanted to use my need for communication as an example of how you first identify what's important for you, then why it's important and then develop alternatives for meeting that need or expectation when your preferred plan doesn't work out. Yeah, totally. Some other areas besides communication that you might think about analyzing using that initial expectation, identify the core need, and then identify an alternative satisfaction kind of method that Julie just talked about is maybe how you'll resolve conflict long distance, uh, maybe how you'll parent while distant or how you'll maintain your team approach to parenting while one is absent. Maybe what, if any, home front tasks the deployed member can and still will take care of versus the partner who is at home. Um, and other ideas is finances, like if and how you might maximize the natural kind of amplified savings potential when that deployment happens or what you'll spend money on while you're apart or how you'll handle <laughs> the need to make major purchases while you're apart. Um, you know, who's going to, how are you going to talk about that? What are you going to decide on? 
um, or even setting spending limits, you know, to curb that tendency that some folks have to sort of treat their sadness with, uh, you know, retail therapy, if you will, which is not always a bad thing. No, I'm just going to no, throw that out No, there. absolutely <laughs> but, not. But, uh, but sometimes it can disguise, you know, an unmet expectation or an unmet need rather than uh, necessarily just being a, a good, no kidding, pick me mm. up. And so, you know, maybe that's something you need to take a look at and discuss. I'd like to add, though, something I've discovered about setting expectations. I can prepare for extended separations by talking about my expectations with my husband and my family, and I can hit all the big topics that Bernadette just mentioned and maybe some others or areas I know from experience are frequent issues for us, but inevitably some area will emerge that I hadn't realized might be an issue or it's totally new. I'd never come across it before. It's completely unexpected. I couldn't anticipate it. So you you can prepare and you, you ought to start somewhere, but I can almost guarantee you will still end up with some disappointed expectations. Uh, and that does not mean it's not worth doing the prep work of thinking about your expectation. It's a good exercise and gets you thinking logically and rationally as opposed to just emotionally to identify what your expectation is and what need you have and how you can still that meet that need. If you've practiced that model in other areas, it becomes easier to apply to a new unexpected area that pops up that you know you, you weren't able to plan for. And then also a word of encouragement ties in here too. If you have disappointed expectations during a separation, <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's everybody you're not alone they're just not easy and uh you didn't mess up your deployment prep or make a rookie mistake if you find yourself at the end of your rope and disappointed in how things are turning out that's right. a deployment <laughs> that's one of the things we say often in this podcast is you're not alone yes uh, be encouraged that you're not alone one thing i would bring up is it's important to ask yourself as you're working through setting your expectations just always kind of ask yourself what's reasonable. You know, you're you're less likely to be disappointed if your expectations are reasonable from the get-go. And that's not to say that you need to manage, you know, your expectations only on how you will not be disappointed. But, you know, be mindful of what's possible. Mm. You know, as an example, if you expect to have email communication or Skype communication with your significant other, or if you're a deployer and you'd like to talk with your parents or your parents want to talk with you while you're gone, is Wi-Fi reliable? Are you going to have internet in your, in your can? Are you going to be in a group place? Are you going to have a kiosk? You know, what's actually going to be reasonable while you're deployed and kind of mind your expectations in that way. So that's not always possible to know, um, but as much as you can, try and set your reasonable expectations. Uh And, you know, even after several deployments worth of experience, you know, it's hard to hit that mark right out of the gate of, hey, Uh my expectations are here they are and they're reasonable and they're easy to meet and we're just going to have a great deployment. Yeah. That's a hard target to hit. Absolutely. I would say most of the time you will have to adjust down from your first plan, even if your first plan was based upon your experience from a previous deployment or extended separation. Yeah, I don't think I've ever set my expectations low enough to begin with and then been pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Like, oh, man, this is... (sighs) I can at least say oh, that there have been a few times where I had an expectation and oh hey um yeah this is this is adequate this is this is about what I expected so yeah, so if you just set your expectations at the very bottom of the barrel you might come out ahead <laughs> right I think is the lesson there yeah. no 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 I'm just kidding so the message there is deployment locations missions times of year seasons of life 
all kinds yeah, of things can have an impact on a deployment that is otherwise similar to previous deployments you might have gotten through. So just bear that in mind and know that, you know, it's always a changing battlefield, even if you can set your expectations based on something you knew before, you know, always different. Mm-hmm. So on to the second major area, we talked about setting expectations. Um, and then now we're going to talk about communicating as much as possible. And uh, it's rather unfortunate that we just finished up talking about how you should expect to communicate less than you would like. And now we're going to say that <laughs> full and open, open communication is the key to survival during separations. But in any relationship, and most mm-hmm. of the time, we're talking about working through in deployments, right? Because you're far away from loved ones, whether it's a spouse or your kids, or your parents or friends. Most of what we're talking about is difficulties potentially in relationships and the key to relationships and, and surviving that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is communication, right? Full and open communication. And it's like the grease on the gears of everything and just keeps the rest of deployment life running. And maybe not so smoothly, <laughs> but at least it's moving, um, you know, with a few squeaks here and there and a grind and every so often you might have to replace the brake pad, but <laughs> it'll be okay. All right. Uh, with communication, we wanted to cover some quick pros and cons of different methods. Most of it's pretty intuitive. So let's start with the slowest method of, uh, you know, communication, snail mail. So postal mail has the advantage of providing a tactile sensation, right? A physical connection that other methods don't. So uh, between a deployer and whomever it is, there's actual physical connection, right? There's something they can actually touch and see mm-hmm. and feel and, and hold on to. Or and spray with are, perfume. Oh, I'm sorry? Spray with perfume. Apparently right, yes. You can, really, okay. you can spritz them with perfume, uh, but not if you're sending them to your mom. That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> letter, letters are just, I mean, I can I can speak to mine, right? I saved like all of mine mm, from my yeah. parents and stuff while I was deployed. And uh, they're just really irreplaceable keepsakes, and they allow you to say things that you don't necessarily want to say if they're uh, transiting the military network. Uh, <laughs> 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 Anyways, those are some of the pros. Uh, the cons. Obviously, it takes time to write, right? It takes yes. time to write and send and stamp and, uh, you know, get a letter out the door. And while that's not a huge level of effort... That time commitment in writing is uh, is not always easy to achieve. So yeah, um, that's a potential con. However, that is part of what gives that piece of paper more value than maybe an email. But in our experience, it's been that kind of the letters are the once a week thing for like busy moms who are holding down things at home. They're yeah. not going to get a letter out the door every day. Not an uh, everyday that's, thing. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yep. So if you're the one that's deployed uh, and your ops tempo is definitely going to drive your ability to write letters. Um, yeah. My spouse... Uh, we were dating, and so this is kind of sappy, but when he, we were dating, uh, he deployed as a contractor for a while, and, you know, I didn't have the time to write him a letter every day, but before he deployed, I tried to make the time, uh, and I did succeed, and I wrote him a little one-page note uh, for every one day that he was going to be gone, and so I sent him with, like, 40 pages of paper or something. Actually, it was more than that. Anyway, hmm. I was really romantic and sappy, but it was, like... Some of them were really short, and it was just, take a morning, I love you, whatever, right? And then the rest of them yeah. were really long, and it listed all the qualities I loved about him and all of that, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was something physical that he took with him, and he had a book, and it was done ahead of time. And so rather than having to mail them while he was gone, 
I had prepped and sent it with him. So he kind of had a a good warning note uh, every day if he wanted it. And so potential thought, but definitely that is not something I could manage now uh, or he could manage now if I was deployed. Like we just couldn't get a letter out the door every day with what we've got going on. So yeah, during my first deployment, I think I was writing a letter a day, but I worked a night shift half the time and it was really slow at my desk for most of the deployment. By my second deployment, I was managing a long letter every three days for most of the deployment, though definitely my motivation ran out before the deployment ended. <laughs> definitely ran out of steam writing letters or ideas. Ideas. I ran out of ideas. Like, you can only list your spouse's oh my gosh. beautiful qualities That's so many true. times. You can write that a lot of times. Okay. All righty. <laughs> um, we will have a link in our show notes to a military blogger, Joe My Gosh, and her list of open when letters you can work on to keep a pool of material available yeah wish i had done more of those because like i said i run out of ideas and i don't like repeating myself here's a great idea too get guest letters so in the little book (laughs) in the little book in the little book of notes i sent with my uh not the spouse at the time right in the book i sent with them I wanted to send letters for all the days and I could not simply get the full spectrum of all the days. And so I asked a couple of my friends like, hey, I need you to write him a quick note. One of my pictures drew him like, or one of my friends drew him a picture of like a unicorn prancing in the field (laughs) and sent it as the note. And he got to like his task for that day was to color it in and send a picture back. (laughs) Uh, I still have the unicorn picture. It's phenomenal. One day it'll be framed in our bedroom or something. But anyway, you can always solicit guests and they can be funny and silly and it's just something that they have. Yeah. So guests and then open when letters. And like I said, we'll have a a link in the show notes to a blog that's got a list of all kinds of open when if you need more ideas. Um, Letter writing is a big commitment. Like we said, that kind of is what gives it some of its value. Because you know when you open up that letter, man, somebody spent some time sitting. And and especially like if you're a mom at home with kids, that meant you had to have that much time not being interrupted or jumped on or, you know, whatever. Exactly. During most of my husband's deployments the last few years, when I've been the one at home with kids, a letter a week was fortunate. That's about all I could handle. Which is impressive in and of itself. So kudos. Yeah. Um, it's okay if you've replaced the decrease in letter writing with increased communication in other areas, or if your expectations and how you communicate just in general is not necessarily through physical letters. So one of the most common communication Mm. methods, right? Email. Uh, Email has the advantage of being faster. It's easy to write. It's instantaneous. You send, receive, it all happens in one. (laughs) And it's ideal for communicating important, but not emergency information routines it reps if you will but you know it has a tendency to take on an impersonal feel uh, or lose some emotion emotional content depending on how regularly you use it and you know what kind of discussion you're having and how you kind of maintain those so there's also a higher chance that the words can be interpreted uh, or particular nuances you know evident in speech and nonverbal communication will be lost so the risk of misunderstanding or mis- misinterpreting is higher than, say, a voice conversation. And it's even higher than, um, you know, a physical letter because, honestly, the, the painstaking time sometimes that goes into a physical letter ends mm-hmm. up translating, you know, better than a, than an email. So it's not necessarily a guarantee, but, um, but I would say that that's anecdotally true as well. And also, it's not just for, you know, passing only emergency information. You can't guarantee 
when the recipient will receive an email or the when they'll finish reading it for that matter so or if they'll finish reading it at all <laughs> ahem some spouses <laughs> sorry <laughs> so uh important things need to be brought up at the beginning of the email right like the bottom line up front the bluff method if you will and it shouldn't necessarily be used for communicating anything above urgent information but i will caveat that by saying that an email is better than than nothing and so oh yeah uh, like That's it true. can definitely fill the void in a busy person's life as an example and this isn't necessarily a deployment related thing but as an anecdote of the utility of email. I worked on a baby book for my first kid when he was little and I was writing down the notes and stuff. I just could not keep up with that. And my mom has one and she made it for me and it's beautiful. Like it's truly phenomenal. And so what I did instead is I created an email account for my kid. Um, mm -hmm. When he's 18, I'll give it to him. Uh, but every so often I will hop on to my email when I'm sitting at the doctor's office or whatever and I will write him an email and I will try and pour in random memory and emotion into a message to him in that email inbox and then I'll send it out the door and I know I've at least captured something for him. And so it, it definitely does not have the same quality or time factor as a true baby book. But, you know, sometime later on, he will actually have something to reflect on and take a look at. So it can be the same during deployment and extended separations as well. Even though it's not a, a physical letter, if you can't make that work, you know, if you take the time to pour information into an email and pour some heart into it that can be better uh, far better than than a lack of anything because you can't get around to putting pen to paper yep yeah remember though that most emails will transit through a department of defense network this is our public service announcement all right most emails will transit through a department of defense network uh you know computer network so don't assume that everything you write in an email or attach to an email <laughs> Even ones sent from and to a personal email address are private. Especially, ladies. yeah. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> ladies. Uh, ladies. Especially if you send or receive that email from a government computer. So, like, yeah, I'm sending it from my personal email and I'm sending it to his personal email. Well, mm, no. every time you he... log in, every time you log into that government computer, even if you're on your home computer and you're accessing it with a CAC, everybody knows we see the banner. It says, I acknowledge and we click away and we move right on with our day. That acknowledgement is your consent <laughs> to monitoring. To be monitored, yes. Right? And it's the acceptable use policy and you're agreeing that you will abide by the acceptable use policy, right? You sign that when you get a an account. And so yep. the ladies. Just <laughs> <laughs> yep. be smart okay. about that, right? Uh, don't say anything in your email or on a government computer or whatever that you don't want somebody else potentially reading uh, or that would bring you know discredit or, upon yourself or in the united states air force <laughs> yeah <laughs> as it were <laughs> anyway so. phone conversations are next phone conversations have the advantage of being near instantaneous communication and you don't lose as much of that nonverbal content so the risk of misunderstanding or misinterpreting is lower um, and that's particularly relevant for conversations this is important this is something that i've learned particularly relevant for conversations that have a higher than normal emotional content to them. So if you're reporting routine house business, there's low emotional content. When you're having a discussion about, I went to the doctor and he said this sort of thing and I'm really worried, that has a higher than normal emotional content. And that emotional content sometimes doesn't come through in emails or even 
letters. Sometimes that the tone of your voice, the stress patterns, those only come across in verbal conversations. Um, and so I would recommend saving those kinds of higher than normal emotional content conversations for phone calls if if you can. If you don't have the option, definitely you got to communicate with whatever you've got. The disadvantage of phone calls is that they're harder to arrange and make happen and they're more rare, less frequent. The time zone differences can make for inconvenient call times. Oh, have you seen um, that commercial recently with the dad checking his phone constantly during the day, worried that he's going to miss his wife calling, um, and then it turns out that she's I deployed? Totally haven't. You know ah. that I'm a bad one. I'm a bad one to ask. We don't watch TV. No, <laughs> well, so there's this commercial. It immediately appeals to military members that have done deployments because I knew exactly the feelings that he was feeling when the other guy's phone rang and for a second he thought it was his and he like jumps for his phone because he he cannot miss this phone call because a lot of times installation phones don't receive inbound they can only make outbound calls so if you miss that phone call you don't have a way of calling the person back um, and so that aspect of phone calls can create a whole deployment mini drama. Kind of stressful. The one yeah. thing that phone conversations still lose out on is the nonverbal communication piece. You can hear the other person, you can't see them. So while you may hear that long pause and think they're reacting negatively to something you just said, or maybe that they fell asleep, right? As in- <laughs> Sometimes that might <laughs> happen to some That has totally people. happened to me during some deployments. <laughs> you hear it, but you don't necessarily see it. And so you don't necessarily know if they're the other person you're talking to is angry, sad. You don't necessarily see eye rolls, tears, exhausted frowns. If you're talking to a parent, especially, you can hear yeah. things in their voice. But if you can't see them, sometimes it's real difficult to know. <laughs> the communication method, method that really captures the most of all that nonverbal is video calls, right? Like Skype, Facebook Messenger, FaceTime or whatever your video communication platform of choice is. So videos let mom and dad see kids growing up and playing. They let kids see their parents. They let you see your faces. We have an au pair for the first time in my house right now, and she does video calls with her family back uh, where she's from. And it's just, she gets to see them, right? She's not deployed, but she's kind of like deployed, right? She's she's gone from them for at least a year. It's really nice to just be able to see their faces and whatnot. And she's an adult. So the video conversations, we all know that those are going to be essential and are really a breath of fresh air to be able to see people and know that they're still there and they still look like they remember and and all that. So (laughs) yeah, there's some comfort there. It's my preferred communication method while my husband is deployed. The kids really need that visual component. So we'd try to get at least one video call a week, but but really, if we could get more often than that, we, we would. And that depended a lot on ops tempo, of course. And again, man, that time zone difference did not make it convenient. Also, let's just all take a minute. Poor video quality, freezing oh, yes. video, yeah, yeah, dropped yeah, yeah. audio, all of those. It really can ruin your day. Like if... if if this is the one time of the day that you were going to get to have that video chat and the internet goes down and it disconnects, man, ugh. Um, and so because of that, my husband and I usually saved the voice calls for time with the kids since I didn't necessarily need him to see just me or need to see him a lot while I was talking to him. Yeah. So he'd call, he'd see the kids And then we'd usually turn off the video and switch to just a voice call after the kids lost interest. 
And that allowed me to get things done while I was talking to him, which was pretty important to me at the time. So one of the downsides of video chats is that you're kind of tied to your device. You're kind of encumbered having to hold the device at a particular angle, stay in probably a particular spot, usually need at least one hand or be sitting in one place that, as a mom, that limits your ability to multitask. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, you know. Yeah, so that's good for important conversations. And in fact, Bernadette was just making the noise Mm -hmm. that there's an important aspect of that. Just asking the other person, can you not multitask for a couple of minutes so we can focus on this thing that's important for us to talk about? That's an aspect of video chats that's good, is that you really can kind of see whether you have the other person's attention and you can feel that they are paying attention to you. But that's just not practical for all the time. That's not for the person at home either. So my husband had housemates and roommates on all of his deployments. Most folks won't have a lot of private space or time for video calls. Uh, So my husband was usually washing laundry while chatting with me. He didn't have time to single task either. You just have to be kind of aware of that dynamic. When I was deployed, it was like that as well. So I only had a couple video chats while I was gone. They were kind of brief. Uh, most of the time it was voice calls if I was going to speak with my family while they were home, you know, while I was deployed and they were at home or, uh, you know, it was emails and letters. So the voice calls were few and far between. I just didn't have the privacy, the time difference, real no. difficult to sync up for a family you know, that's parenting and has kids. It can be worth it potentially to make that happen, even if the time differences and stuff are difficult. For some of the more solo deployers, it's not necessarily something that parents and friends and whatnot will necessarily jump through hoops to make happen. So Mm. uh, it can just be a little bit more quiet on the video front in that regard. The hybrid between email and video chats is, of course, instant messaging. messaging. Uh, Or, you know, in our case, like texting. Uh, There's no Mm -hmm. visual component, so you lose the nonverbal, but you can multitask. Uh, You can pass information super easily. You can read and write at convenience and connect super quickly at really weird hours. (laughs) So... You know, this is the method for just staying plugged in to all the little details of home life, but it's not the best communication method for emotional, important conversations, right? You don't necessarily want to have those over IM or text. That might be the only thing you have, and so if that's the only thing you have, that's what you got to use. But if you can use something else for emotional or important conversations, try to. Yeah, I wish I had learned that lesson sooner. I think maybe a few times I have had the sense to recognize, hey, this is an important or an emotionally charged conversation. It's okay to table that conversation and come back to it when we can video chat or have a phone call. And in fact, sometimes pressing on being like, well, I'm going to talk to him while I've got him (laughs) and I'm going to force this thing to happen. (gasps) An ambush! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's one of my lessons learned that will hopefully help someone else. In the case of extended separations and communicating in the midst of that, maybe think about alternate communication methods that can allow you to communicate more efficiently or effectively. Yeah, and sometimes it just sucks. Right? Sometimes it's just yeah, going to be crazy. Right? Yep. It doesn't really matter whether you, you table it or you talk about it now or you talk about it later. Sure. Sometimes it's going to be really awful. So. Yep. You're not and alone if that happens okay. and you're like, hey, I listened to Bella's at Bellum and they said I could try all these things and it's not working. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I <laughs> totally know. Don't. I'm sorry. We, <laughs> we've given you our best advice and sometimes yeah. it's not going to work. It just, yeah, it just Speaking is. Of things, you know, that we were offering as recommendations. One last, you know, pseudo communication method is care packages. 
Yeah, that's a sometimes thing for me and probably also a personal preference thing. So I loved getting care packages while I was deployed. In fact, I actually staged like three or four with Thanksgiving and Christmas decorations in them. And then I put the box together. I taped it up, addressed it. Once I got out there, I told them, hey, send box number whatever to me. And it would show up at, you know, exactly when I wanted it. And during his deployment, um coffee. He mostly wanted me to send him things that Amazon wouldn't ship to an APO. If he wanted or needed something, he could usually just go and get it for himself. Like he did not need me to send care packages. So any care package I sent him was really just little knickknacks with an emotional component. And probably, I don't know if the words were really valuable to him. That might have just been clutter to him. I'd have to ask him if he actually enjoyed care packages. Uh, So that's like kind of a personal thing. That ties back to the communication conversation, right? So discuss your care packages. Some Uh, some parents, you know, love getting care packages just full of kid crafts and little knickknacks that their kids have done or pictures they painted for mommy or pictures they made for daddy or handprints. And some parents are like, I just got a box full of like kid craft bombs and I I can't like I can't put these up all over my room and so depends right sometimes if you're the deployed spouse and your spouse has put that together for you despite your desires not to have it you just say thank you and love it and you know quietly dispose of that but um I specifically told my husband (laughs) like I would write like on a little note that I would put into the care package do not throw this away like I understand that maybe you're not going to put it up in your room but please don't put it right into the trash just put it back in the care package and send the box back to me and I will put it like in the kids scrapbook but if you throw this away neither of us are having it for the rest of forever so that goes back to communication right so you got to tell your spouse or whomever things like that and so like i said manage the communication on that sometimes people just like to send folks that are or like to send things that are nice you know smell good scandals especially for ladies it seems like when i was deployed i got care packages just full of bath bombs even though i like where where was i gonna take bath bath, bombs yeah really yeah i got like bath i never got any bath bombs there's no bath that i would ever get in (laughs) in afghanistan Uh, are are we allowed to say candles yes yeah, I think I, I might have just like opened up the candle and let it yeah, sit. Yeah, people would send flameless candles too. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Things like that. Anyway, depends, right? Totally depends. Care packages are, I would say in general are awesome, but you have to know what the person you are sending to wants or if you are the recipient, try and communicate what it is that is, you know, suits your needs. But at the same time, give grace to the people who are sending you care right. packages and know that it takes time. It takes time to put together a box and collect the items, get them together with whatever kind of note and whatever address it to you, take it to the office and ship it out. So regardless of whether or not you don't care for all the little gifts that you might get, just take note of the yeah, <laughs> the intent of it. an act of love. Right. And receive it for what it's meant to be, right? A, a gift, uh, an act, which is one of those love languages, even if it's not yours. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that's... I lost my That's voice. a lot on communication. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So cool. So that covers you know, a skeletal structure of communication. And I would say, actually, it's not quite really a skeleton. It was actually pretty pretty fleshed out. There was a, a whole body, yeah. I think, there. Definitely some hair, <laughs> some facial hair. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a horrible image right now. <laughs> anyway, so we talked about that. We talked about why you might use one method or the other in different cases. So you can take that for what it's worth and just consider what does work for you or what doesn't. Um, but yeah. I would ask Julie a question. So what would you say is the most successful ratio for you in terms of what types of communications work best? 
Yeah, so for my love language and my husband's love language, and then considering that we have three kids under the age of five, I'd say 40% of our communication is video chats, and that's mostly for the kids. And then I'd I'd approximate another 30% for just the little instant messages back and forth, kind of unimportant thoughts, but little things that keep us connected. And then probably 10% is just phone calls, no video, and that's for us as parents to talk quickly about fairly urgent things um, or to talk easily without having to have two hands free to type. Um, And then the last 20, if I'm doing my math right, is split evenly between letters and emails, probably about 10% each. Letters are for the romantic or emotionally um, significant parts of our relationship uh, or things that I really want to (laughs) or things that I really want to preserve as memories like we Mm -hmm. love talking about our forever house that let's be honest is probably never gonna happen but you know like it's a fun conversation to have or you know just something that keeps us connected and and I want to preserve it as a memory and then emails are usually for me to follow up on something that we talked about earlier or I need to add more detail, or I need to remind him to take some kind of action or report the outcome of something that he was supposed to do. And then I don't, I don't really even count care packages as communication. That's more gift giving. And see, I totally do. It depends. While I was deployed, my my family sent care packages. Uh, I sent some packages uh, to them, and I sent letters to them. And uh, we would talk on the phone every so often. But other than that, the communication was pretty slim. Um, yeah, you know, aside from the fact that I had uh, like a blog, and so I had a blog where I would, oh right, I had posted yep. that for my family. It was really just, it was a very tightly controlled blog, and I, I wasn't sharing any opsec details. Be mindful of that, by the way. Um, mm. Wouldn't share any opsec details about anything like that, but I would post on there how you know just stories about how things were going during kind of that week for me during my deployment, and then people could check in at their leisure, not having to worry about a time frame. Uh, or a mass spam email if they didn't want to know. It was it was up mm-hmm. to them to kind of go check it out. So Yeah. That's actually something that I'm just now thinking of. I completely neglected to think of. Um, and probably that's because I wasn't using it during my deployment. I was not on Facebook during uh, my first couple of deployments. But social media is a communication method. Oh, it's absolutely. kind of a one-way. It's, it's not... It's not like a conversation, but oh, yeah. Can be, though. Instagram, yeah. so Instagram and WhatsApp. Yeah, um, you're right. Facebook, there's, there's a lot of yeah. social media. We're, we're kind of old. We'll have to interview <laughs> some young hip well, 20-something airmen <laughs> or soldier. But at the same time, the social media communication aspect has a little bit of trickiness along with it in that there are a lot more concerns about OPSEC and PERSEC. And so... I guess I just kind of chose to, I mean, Facebook was a thing when I was deployed. It's not like Mm. I was the age of the dinosaurs. It did exist. I was choosing not to use it because I was not comfortable sharing that kind of information. And if you are going to deploy and you are going to use your social media accounts to communicate with people at home, please know how to set and review your privacy settings and what settings should be on or off or what they should be set to. And I'm sure that there is someone in your unit 
that talks about OPSEC or PERSEC that you can go talk to, or your security office or your SSO, one of those folks, to make sure that you are protecting yourself and the people that you talk to if you communicate on social media. If you media. haven't received the notices at your most recent commander's call, find whoever the executive officer is for your squadron and yell at them. Because <laughs> at the last three yeah. or four commander's calls I've been to over the past year, almost everyone, every single one, has covered the topic of social media etiquette. So, yes. it's not happening in your unit, get on it. It's not me lecturing you. It's just... We probably all heard <laughs> it. That's more actually me saying like, hey, we've all heard it. Uh, just yeah. a public reminder. So, all right. So yeah. all that, all that is goodness, right? So good perspective on, you know, how to balance communication methods with different situations might call for how different life choices and, and different scenarios, mm -hmm. places where you're at, you know, what you've got going on with your family might dictate how you communicate. Um, one final important note about communicating emergency information, uh, Figure out how to use the Red Cross emergency notification system. And I'm saying this as advice to yourself, to you and also to myself because I don't even know. Um, but <laughs> we will provide the Red Cross phone number in the show notes. And this is how you communicate truly emergency and usually unfortunate information to a loved one who is deployed. So keep in mind that you don't have to, nor should you plan, to call Red Cross first if an emergency situation arises at home. But your first choice of contact should always be your deployed spouse's first shirt, your key spouse, uh, or the FRO for the Marine Corps, the FRG for the Army, or Ombudsman for the Navy. Uh, they can help put you in touch with all the right people, and they will certainly make sure that emergency notifications are made appropriately and successfully. But if for whatever reason that first step is not available, then you can use the Red Cross. Uh, so be mindful that the Red Cross emergency notification system is an option there and something to, to get schooled up on. So bit of homework yep. for listeners. Yeah, and I think uh, every pre-deployment briefing that I've been to, both as a deploying member and as the spouse of a deploying member, they've talked about it like, oh, the Red Cross is how you do emergency notification. But I think they've always said, come talk to the shirt or whatever if you need to do this. And so even most units will tell you, you do not have to do this alone. You do not have to figure out this process alone. And in a lot of cases, sometimes you're not in a good place to be doing that yourself. There are processes in place. They're well established. The military knows how to do this. So get in touch with the people in your deployed members yeah, absolutely. unit. And so that kind of wraps up... Uh, communication is the second one. So we talked about, you know, setting your expectations. We talked about now managing your communication, right? Communicating often. So, yeah. And that leaves the last major area of thriving mid-deployment, and that's leaning on your support network unashamedly. Absolutely. And yeah, and I don't know that there's actually really a lot to say here because we've already talked in the first episode of this series about what your support network could or should look like and how to build it, where to find it, that kind of thing. Go back to that episode if you don't remember. Uh, we talked in the last two episodes about how you can use it or when you should use it or how you shouldn't feel bad about using it at all, especially if you're a parent and you need a break. So I think the most important thing to mention here is the subject of deployment breakdowns or the deployment wall. And so I'm talking about those times during a deployment, whether it's one week in and everything goes wrong, or it's two weeks from the end and you're just exhausted and you just need help. 
Um, and by the way, that experience can happen whether you're staying at home or whether you are the deploying person. Yep. I have had me both. as well. What do you yep. do when you hit that deployment wall? You have a bad day. Well, that's that's what your support network is for. So call someone to come take the kids off your hands or to help you fix the broken whatever or to just listen to you ugly cry for a little bit about the unfairness of it all, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is going to happen. It's totally normal. Uh, it's totally reasonable. You're allowed to have your day in the in the sadness cone, if you will. And so invite <laughs> yeah, somebody into the, like invite somebody into the cone with you, right? So you're not just in there alone. But if you need help problem solving and, you know, you're married and you're or you're not married and your partner is not available, use your support network. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we want to talk about a few deployment concepts or topics that are important to know about that don't really fit into one of those categories. So we're going to talk about the emotional cycle of stress specifically within deployments. Um, and that's related to those deployment breakdowns or the deployment wall that we just talked about. I'd like to talk about setting deployment goals for thriving so that you're not just like, oh, let's just get through this. But, you know, how how do we make the best of this? Um, and then we'll just kind of briefly go over some resources for deployment education, like books and websites and some military programs that we've come across. Yeah, so let's start with the emotional cycle of deployments. Uh, first off, Julie, would you say that deployments are uh, sprints or marathons? Uh, they are marathons. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and as well, someone some who's run their marathons, but yeah, I have friends who do that, and I do not understand them. <laughs> I would prefer to do that horrible, painful five-hour run over having to be a solo parent and a house manager for six months. Hands down, easy choice. No, I, totally I will be wouldn't. miserable and in the worst pain I've experienced besides childbirth for six hours, rather than have to be the strong military wife and mom. That's crazy because I would prefer running okay or i would prefer being at home to running i can't stand running anyway yeah okay um, <laughs> yes so, uh so you bring up something important there you mentioned the aspect of being solely responsible for all the decision making the parenting uh, managing the house you know handling a lot of emotional exhausting. content all of it right um yeah. who would you normally share all those burdens with right normally my spouse right and he's not there and so i can specifically recall a phrase that i say almost every deployment even if i'm the one who's deployed even if i'm the one that's deployed i will usually at some point during the deployment have this phrase like and i'm stewing about something i'm upset i'm frustrated i'm exhausted why did i even get married i mean what was the point of choosing to share my life with someone if i'm not actually sharing my life with him um and i am usually muttering that question as i'm climbing on top of a counter to put something away on a cabinet shelf that I can't reach, or I'm trying to lift something that's too heavy for me, or do some job that is supposed to take four hands and I only have that's two. That's the cone of sadness, by the way. That's when you hit the cone of sadness <laughs> and you call it yeah. and you're like, I'm in the cone of sadness on top of my <laughs> counter and I can't lift it up. <laughs> Don't install kitchen cabinets alone. Just, just a word of... PSA. Of, yeah. When I've been the deployed person going through this this experience, um, it's usually some kind of life challenge. Like the time that I was playing hardball with Air Force Lodging so that I could move out of a room that had tar fumes pouring into it while I was trying to sleep. I'm just emotionally overwhelmed trying to figure out how to do this. Or... I'm trying to navigate emotional challenges like conflict with coworkers or family, and I don't have that partner, that person that I would normally just turn to and tell them 
and, and just kind of relieve some of that emotional stress. Yeah, so that's, that's common, right? A common common emotional reaction when you're in that cone of sadness. I hope so. I, I hope I am not the only person who has that moment at least once during deployment. Nope, so. Okay. So cool. in this, you know, this marathon, right, this 26 miles of pain and thriving, right? Pain and, pain and thriving, right? You're running and you're in the wall and you're pain and there's mm-hmm. salt all over you and you're chafing oh, and yeah. you're like, oh my oh. gosh, I just love this. I love running. Anyway, <laughs> you will probably encounter that race wall, right? At like mile 20 or 22. How do you yeah. overcome it, right? You will. Well, how will you? Yeah, so in a marathon, you don't actually have to keep running unless you have some kind of unusual pride issue that won't physically let you quit, which I, I really can't imagine that. But in a deployment, you don't have a choice. You pick yourself up, you get over it, you find a way to cope because you have to. You cannot lay on the bathroom floor for six months. And, you know, surprisingly, the good news is you can do that. You absolutely can get up and carry on. There's some truly challenging deployment moments, no doubt. But especially if you have people who will who will help you, there's nothing you can't overcome. And for me, in hindsight, I look back at that moment, that cone of sadness moment, and realize that probably 80% of the issue was my emotional state, and maybe 20% of it was the real gravity and challenge of the situation. 20% of it was was really a valid issue, and 80% of it was just, I'm alone. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's, you, you touch on something really important there, and that comes up not just in deployments, but especially in deployments, but that's the remembering it won't always be like this, mm. right? Regardless mm-hmm. of what this, in air quotes, is, right? Whether it's, I'm so exhausted, my children are this way, my spouse is this way, my work, you know, the deployment environment is this way, my boss is this way. You know, even even trauma, right? Even if you've gone through some actual, you know, serious trauma, it won't always be this way. One of the things that can really get that emotional cycle on the down you know your mind starts thinking that it's just it's like this and it's not going to change it won't always be this way you know it'll change whether that'll be a good change or whether that'll be a change into a different kind of not great it will be different right it will change so (laughs) the the cycle up and down that happens in deployments remember that your emotional state plays heavily into it and one of the ways you can kind of try and boost that up is force yourself to remember it won't always be this way right it won't yeah so for me shocker that emotional up and down cycle was about every three weeks so for like a couple of days in one week out of every four i was i'm just done i'm frustrated i'm angry i'm bitter i'm resentful i'm tired i'm sad i'm discouraged like all the negatives probably not a surprise to other folks There was usually one major event each deployment, and the other five months were just kind of smaller blips. Everything else that was my up and down was pretty dependable. I'd try to go on my own steam for a period of time, and I would just get exhausted. (laughs) All right, so what can you do to prepare and manage this event during deployment? So first, recognize that something is likely going to happen. Unless you have no emotions, which everybody does. So (laughs) something is likely going to happen. It's going to push you over the edge. You're going to collapse in your cone of sadness. Okay, so that's going to happen. Be prepared. Uh, When you're there, (laughs) remember, it's not going to be that way forever. Second, Mm -hmm. pace yourself. It's really easy to start day one of deployment enthusiastic and armed with all these tips. And then three weeks later, you're like, 
Oh my gosh, those Bellas ad bellum chicks are, they're <laughs> insane. And they can say whatever they want about thriving on deployment, but they can go stuff that podcast up there. We know what, right? <laughs> because I hate my life and I am alone and nobody knows what it's like. And it's, it is going to be like this oh, yeah. forever. Understand. I totally understand the rage. I'll step into that cone with you. Yes. <laughs> Instead, absolutely. just remember that's part of the race, <laughs> right? That's part of the, yep. that's part of the race. You're going to hit that wall. Pace yourself. Instead of trying to sprint from the from the get-go, start off with a normal pace for your life. Uh, manage your expectations. Yeah. And it may help to deliberately schedule oh, down days. yes. Yeah. Do it. Or that's deliberately. A, that's a life tip. You know, yeah. That's and I still tip. haven't really schedule figured that days. out. I need <sighs> a down day. I need a down year. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Looking back, I feel now that one of the reasons my emotional state would build to this kind of climatic moment was I never really had the time to deep process things that had happened recently or to just decompress. And in hindsight, I would add that having quiet, restful time was not usually sufficient for me to kind of drain out all this negative emotion and reset to a more balanced, resilient mental state. So, I mean, I'd know that I was getting amped up and I'd say, I'm going to be deliberate about giving myself some decompression time. And I would turn on, you know, HGTV and I would eat some ice cream. That was not necessarily enough to kind of drain out that negative emotion. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you got to trigger it. Sometimes you got to force it. It helps me. Maybe it's not helpful for other people, but hearing Bernadette just say, oh, yeah, you got to trigger it makes me feel so much better. This is why we're friends. You got to force that emotional oh, venting. Yeah. Play a super sappy movie. So for me, Roman Holiday or Sleepless in Seattle, like it just triggers it. And once I get going, I just kind of vent all of that negative emotion and it all comes out. And you know that wave that comes over you? When it just, it just kind of crescendos and then the wave passes. Yeah. And then you're like, what was I so upset about? You don't know. Like it had been three weeks of building, building, building. Mm -hmm. And now you just forced it out. I would allow. Know your trigger. Yeah. (laughs) And I would. Hashtag triggered. Sometimes you got to trigger it. Showers. Like watch a sappy movie, sit in the shower, have a good cry. And then when the crying is done, I would realize that nothing was really terribly wrong. Life is not awful. It is not going to be this way forever. And then I'm at a healthier, more resilient place emotionally. I would add, in your emotional purge, don't project or take it out on anyone. (laughs) Don't take Take it out on us, though. (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. Don't send an angry email to your spouse. How about that? Or your parents. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Don't yell at your kids because you're frustrated. The Skype video keeps freezing. Don't send it to your mom. Tell her Mm. you're not coming home. Uh Don't do it. (laughs) So that's another reason it was good for me to be intentional about when I forced out my emotions. If I could release some of that anxiety and stress at times where there weren't going to be unintended victims, I was a lot less likely to take my unhappiness out on like the cashier at the grocery store. And then also one other important note, there's a difference between that like three week up and down cycle or whatever it is for you, just like the normal emotional cycle and being at a point where you truly need some help. And hopefully you know how to distinguish between those two and you have people that will step in and help you. So other resources we maybe haven't talked about during a previous episode or that are particularly relevant for this phase. We've not mentioned in the first four episodes that you can reach out 
if you're struggling with some more serious issues like anger management or depression or financial difficulties or even some of the run-of-the-mill things, uh, and maybe you just don't have a support network, we uh, will provide a whole bunch of phone numbers and contacts and organizations in the show notes that you can call anytime uh, for help. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we we kind of make a little bit light of the, the cone of sadness, and I even call it that, and there's a little bit of a joke. But It's good. It's you know, good tra- I'm going to trademark it's it. It's a legit thing, right? But it, if you are no kidding in the cone of sadness like every day, uh, and you're not finding that a good cry kind of helps you get it out and you don't have a support network, it's possible that you're struggling with something that's not something that you can just get through on your own that you really maybe need like a licensed mm. counselor or or something medical or professional to help you really deal with that. And it's not because you're weak or because you've made a mistake or because you got yourself into this terrible zone. No. Um, just everybody. Everybody needs help at some yep. point. If something like that is, you know, taken hold or whatever, there are resources that you can reach out to. And so that's some of what we have in our show notes is things for you to bear in mind uh, or organizations for you to consider if you have something that we haven't quite touched on, but maybe you know, you wonder if there's something there for you. So take a look. Yeah. Um, and we haven't mentioned the Air Force Reserve's Yellow Ribbon Program before, but if you're Air Force Reserve, the Yellow Ribbon Program is a series of events designed to provide members and their families with those resources that are kind of common for active duty folks, but maybe as a reservist, you don't get access to them as often. So the pre-deployment resources, and then they can provide a level of stability and support while deployed. So that's the during deployment. And then the Yellow Ribbon Program also provides resources for successful reintegration after the deployment ends, which we will talk about in the future. Um, So we'll provide a link to that program in the show notes. Um, And they run a lot of events for kids and deployed members. On to another aspect of thriving, create a deployment bucket list or some deployment goals. This can be a really good strategy to keep you motivated for, you know, a long deployment to give you something to look forward to, to keep you from fixating on what you don't have, build new skills, whatever. It just kind of helps pass the time during a deployment. So, yeah. And this works for both sides of the deployment ocean. And I think we already mentioned it during our pre-deployment episode. But when I started both of my deployments after (laughs) working through the obvious sadness of separation... I ended up getting really excited about all the things I could do with my personal time now that I didn't have to share it with another person. So I trained for and competed in my first sprint triathlon, and I ran a marathon for my first deployment. My second deployment, I trained for another triathlon. I read a lot, um, and I got caught up on The Biggest Loser. Nice. (laughs) Which, yeah, a lot of things I would not have been able to do at home because I would have had to, you know, kind of compromise on how we were going to spend our time. Commitments. Commitments at home are different. Yeah. And then on the other side of a deployment as the person staying at home, I get to cook all the meals I like that my husband doesn't. I get to have a lot of fun experiences with my boys. I, I drove them eight hours once to go ride the Durango Silverton Railroad, which is a road trip my husband would probably not have been excited to do, but he wasn't there, so I could do it. You could volunteer more. Like, dirty little deployment secret. Sometimes in between missing your spouse a lot during a deployment, you don't miss them right, at all. Right, but you got to be careful with that. We'll talk about yeah. that reintegration. <laughs> reintegration. Reintegration. <laughs> you get too used to that important. remote, and then reintegration is not so happy. It gets really so. tough. <laughs> anyway. Good note. Uh, deployment goals. 
they also don't have to be individual goals. So if you're married, you can set goals for yourself as a couple. Maybe you read the same book at the same time. It's a, it's a really good way to generate discussion for letters, emails, or just kind of to commu keep communication going, right? Something in common. Or maybe there's an athletic event stage side or, or something that you want to register for and train at the same time and then do it when you're back together. Common goals, common interests, something to, to share. And then it also, that kind of thing can help the reintegration process, right? And like I said, we'll talk mm -hmm. about that next time. Another big one is, is savings or financial goals. So deployment allotments usually increase take-home pay financially kind of savvy folks or people who want to do something with their money can really amplify that opportunity by creating some financial goals and tracking their progress towards it and talking about it. So um, consider that as something you might want to do. And, you know, just a, a plug, if you would like to do something financial, right, but you're not quite sure where to start, Airmen and Family Readiness Center, uh, at oh, least yeah, for the Air yeah. Force. Um, and so I'm not sure quite name of it is for the Army and the Navy, but uh, the Airmen and Family Readiness Center for the Air Force has financial advisors, and they, can, they can't they can give you advice, but they can talk to you about allotments and goals and whatnot. So anyway, you know, that's another way to create some, some progress or share something together as you move on through this deployment phase. Yep. That's a really good segue into an important deployment survival tip. So we talked in the last episode about getting kids through the deployment and helping kids stay connected to their parent. On the adult side, you need to do the same thing. You need to be aware that while it's important to have your own deployment goals, you have to stay coupled to your partner. You can't leave each other behind. You have to stay connected. So to tie back into the metaphor about deployments being like marathons, definitely you have to run your race. You have to make your best effort and focus on what you can control rather than what you can't. But you can't just pretend like your marriage is on pause during the deployment. You can't forget that commitment that you made. And man, look, we can be honest, maintaining a relationship without a deployment is tough work, yeah. even harder during it. I mean, it's, it's work. It's tough, no lie. But you have to do that work. And there are fun things you can do to keep that connection going, to keep it from becoming stale or just a check the box kind of thing. So my husband and I watched the same movie at the same time. Mm -hmm. We even uh, managed to see a movie in theater while I was deployed, Aww, I found, dear. yeah, uh, I found the deployed location showtimes for one of the Bond movies, I think. And he found a showtime at a theater stateside that roughly coincided, you know, even with the time zone difference. And it was a fun way to connect during a movie. Totally because before it was, kids. <laughs> yes, right, <laughs> right. It wasn't a movie that we had seen before, so it was new. Yeah, so absolutely. That's good stuff. So our last little note, uh, we'll link in our show notes to a list of books for military spouses. That list was compiled by the military spouse blogger, The Seasoned Spouse. Uh, and just a general disclaimer, as usual, we haven't read any of them ourselves, but uh, she's done that. Yeah. <laughs> she's done that work for us. And we just want to make that recommendation. There's good yeah, books uh for military spouses. And I know that I've heard of a few of them on the list. I know the one that I have been planning for sure on reading is Doug Nordman's book about financial independence oh, and genius, early retirement. Yeah. yeah, right? That's on my growing list of books to read, and we'll discuss that topic later. But it's probably not the most deployment-relevant book on the list. So, you know, that's like a future pin, but maybe not a deployment pin. And then another caveat, the books are written yeah. by spouses for spouses. So it's from the perspective, in most of the cases, I think it's written from the perspective of a non-military member. And if you're dual military or you're the lady right, like who here. will be deploying, mm -hmm. yeah, um, you might find that the perspective is just a bit different from what you're looking at. Right. So. so that means we have to develop our own list. 
Uh, We're going to put that on the list of list of things to list about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So amazingly, we're going to wrap up this episode. Now, we just want to reaffirm and encourage our listeners, right? Uh, we say this every time, uh, but we're going to say it again. You're not the only person who's gone through a deployment. You're not the only person who's been in this situation. Plenty of people have been through this. Uh, most of them, or many of them, at least the first time, felt ignorant, overwhelmed, unprepared, and as life changed, they felt that way again. So <laughs> understanding, right, this topic, the massive topic of deployment, and we keep tackling it in multiple episodes, right, because it is so massive, understanding mm -hmm. that topic and hopefully some solutions or tips or advice that's meant to help you feel more knowledgeable and be more prepared to succeed in this area. But not every solution, tip or advice is going to work. It's not necessarily going to be relevant to every person. So you got to use, use your own knowledge to tailor it for your unique situation. But despite that uniqueness, right, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seek out community. This is our community that we're trying to foster. Yes, and contact us. <laughs> we could tell you some horrible stories or or recommend like a really good ugly crime oh, absolutely movie. if you need some tear jerkers right if you need to, to trigger your emotional reaction julia cannot julia and i can think of some some good stuff to help you uh, get that out so anyway um so wrapping that episode up right set your expectations communicate often and then lean unabashedly on your community when it comes up. And then bear in mind that there's so many more resources and we touched on a few of them at the end. So that's trans deployment, right? We hope that it will help you with some of the thriving versus just the surviving. But know that there's going to be some surviving too, probably. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you've made a failure or a misstep. We've all been there. If we haven't been there, we, there's only those who have and those who will be. So um, mm. be encouraged. <laughs> We're there with you and, and always feel free to reach out to this community. If there's nothing else that you have to reach out to, we're here trying to build this up for folks just like us and just like you. Excellent. Let us to the battle. Thanks for listening to the Bella Said Bellum podcast. You can find notes or resources related to this topic on our social media community. Check us out, like, follow, or subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Bellus at Bellum. Join us for our next episode, and in the meantime, let us to the battle. We take great care to seek out subject matter experts who are knowledgeable and experienced in their fields to be guests. However, everyone's military experience is unique, and the views of our guests and our hosts do not necessarily reflect an official or acknowledged Department of Defense, United States Air Force, or other government agency position, view, or policy. Content is provided for informational purposes only, and we make no claim as representation of official sources.